<clears throat> Please join me in the prayer of illumination. God of mercy, you promised never to break your covenant with us. Amid all the changing words of generation, speak your eternal word that does not change. Then may we respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. The Old Testament scripture this morning is Psalm 8. If you wish to follow along in the Pew Bible, Psalm 8 is found on page 482. Psalm 8, a Psalm of David. I, Lord, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The word of the Lord. Turn with me also to the 11th chapter of the book of Acts. Let us pray. Lord God, we ask that your word today as a two-edged sword would pierce our hearts, that the flame of your Holy Spirit would dwell among us, and that your word would inspire us, send us, call us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Beginning with verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. And they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them there were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. 
When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. At that time, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and predicted by the Spirit that there would be a severe famine over all the world. And this took place during the reign of Claudius. The disciples determined that according to their ability, each would send relief to the believers living in Judea. This they did, sending it to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. As I sat on the plane in the airport in Santo Domingo, I looked out the window as the Caribbean stretched out. We took off from the island of, depending on who you talk to, Santo Domingo or Haiti, I'd been on a mission trip before, and I'd had good experiences every time. I'd met people around the world, but this trip was different. As I looked out the porthole window on the airplane, as the plane rose over the ocean, I started to cry. What was different this time? Up close, I had seen the challenges of life that the people in the Bataes, the areas around the sugar plantations of Barahona, went through from day to day, living in a system that paid them just enough to keep them in the sugarcane system as migrant labor from Haiti, but not enough to change their lives, not enough to bring them a better future. I saw people worship God, dressed in their Sunday best every night, even though they probably had a dirt floor at home. I cried because the reality of poverty had just come home to me in the most real way possible. The problem seemed overwhelming. My Haitian pastor friends were driving back to the reality of Haiti. My Dominican friends were ministering to the migrant labor there in Barahona. And what could I do? I couldn't stand people living in those conditions. And I knew some of the decisions that I made from day to day, down to the sugar that was on my table, were causing those problems. I knew God wanted us to make a difference. And I knew, most importantly, that I was changed. My perspective on the world would never be the same. But let me be clear. I didn't build anything that week. And if I had... My friends down there would have sent me home early. (laughs) I served no meals personally. I was just learning. Part of a conference of pastors from the U.S., the Dominican Republic, and Haiti. We were learning about one another, learning about our countries, learning about our ministries and our contexts. Through learning, my perspective on the world and on Jesus had changed. I learned how to speak a little bit of Creole, I could say things like, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm eating, and I could make the Haitians laugh when I said it. 
what I'm saying is mission changes things. If the goal of the church is to change the world for Jesus, then missions is the way that happens. Daryl Guter and others have said that we should look at the way that we talk about missions. That we used to say the church of God has a mission in the world. Notice the subject of this sentence and its implications for the church is that the church is the subject of the sentence. It is the church that is driving the bus on missions and that missions are something that we'll choose to do when the opportunity arises. But from a more missional perspective, Guter says we should say the God of mission has a church in the world. Let's say that again. The God of mission has a church in the world. The same words, God, church, and mission, just in a different order. Now God is the subject of the sentence. It is God who has sent the church on a mission. God has commanded missions. The command to missions comes first. In Acts and in Luke, Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and all the earth. To be a witness of Christ means to tell God's story. If we truly want to give God glory, we will tell God's story. We tell the story that the disciples told. We tell the story the disciples experienced. We tell how we've seen Jesus too. And we have new stories to tell based on our adventures to new places with new things to do. Now in Matthew, Jesus, the risen Jesus told the disciples to go into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do everything that I've commanded you. Jesus called his disciples to make more disciples. At the earlier service this morning, we had a baptism. The promise of the church is to make more disciples and to teach, just as the church at Antioch was teaching. You see, today is a call to action. Today is a call to missions for the church. God put you here in this church and in this place for a reason. Theology is great to discuss. Talking about God is awesome. Living God is even better. The greatest danger facing the church today is not from without. The culture cannot destroy the church or cause it to die. The evil that we remember on this year anniversary of the riots in Charlottesville remind us that evil does not win, but instead the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ defeats evil everywhere. We believe in a God who is bigger than that. What causes the church to atrophy is the abandonment of missions as the church's primary calling. What causes the church to grow, on the other hand, is to become infectious, to change, to flourish. It is a deep commission to God that comes from missions. So first, where do missions come from? First, missions come from a felt need in the world. Let's look at the story of the early church here. You know, that very famous person on the words of Scripture here in this story, Agabus. I'm not even sure I've got his name right, Agabus. People have been following Jesus for years, but now this man stands up and gives a prophetic imagination to the church, a call to justice, a call to end poverty. 
Agabus has said, end poverty now in Jerusalem. This was one of the first mission programs of the church. And so the church answers this call to God with action. They'll take up a collection from the poorer, for the poorer church in Jerusalem. And Paul is going to go around all over the world to take up this collection in the face of this catastrophe. Catastrophe. It was his long-time, lifelong calling. Think of all the places that it took him. Rome, Corinth, the marketplace in Athens. This was the purpose of his trip, to one day deliver this gift to the poor in Jerusalem. You see it around you every day. You see and hear the same felt needs in your community. Do you have the same prophetic vision as an Agabus? Do you have the missional call of Paul? Or maybe you have the encouraging call of Barnabas. Mount Pleasant Presbyterian Church is a significant church. The sign says you are a missional congregation. Maybe you don't see your significance because you're part of it. But people around the denomination around the country are looking for your leadership. And now is a liminal moment. You have a new pastor coming, and you have Bart Edwards here today as your new associate pastor. I know Bart well. If you want to make Bart happy as your new associate, go on missions with him. Nothing will light up Bart's face more than you being part of missions with him. I've heard him tell the tale of his, of his travels to Haiti, of the, gar, of the community garden that was started in Lynchburg. The impact that you will make is significant because you have a great opportunity today with new pastors coming, with a new start, with a new challenge. And I challenge you today that maybe your vision is too small. Think about it. The early church's vision was end poverty in Jerusalem. Now the goal should be end poverty, period. There's no excuse for poverty in our world today. Our privilege should cause us to repent that there are still poor in this world. And our privilege puts us on the road to mission. Mission means listening to the needs of others. I recently visited the Atlanta Mission in downtown Atlanta. The Atlanta Mission feeds and houses the homeless in Atlanta. Previously, they saw the problem of homelessness as drug addiction. If they could just get the men who came through there off drugs, they could end homelessness. Homelessness was a cookie-cutter solution. But homelessness somehow was still around. And more and more people than ever were coming through their doors. What were they doing wrong? What was the problem? They stepped back and they looked at poverty a different way. They found that homelessness was caused by poverty, but it was not the poverty of not having something to eat or not having a place to stay. The poverty that the homelessness experience is relationship poverty. When they looked at things from that perspective, the problem was different. Each person they served had different issues. Some of them had mental health issues. Some of them had vocational problems. Some of them had family problems. Some need, so, needed social workers, and some needed health care. 
Atlanta Mission took a more holistic approach, and they've been working more effectively at curing the real problems of homelessness, that the homeless are alone and without hope. How many people have you spoken to today? How many relationships do you have today? Whose relationship, whose relationship poverty can you end today? What relationship can you start or renew that will end poverty in someone's life? It might simply be a fellow church member who's in a nursing home, someone who's stuck at home on Sundays. Ending relationship poverty should be the goal. We live in an online world where we think that we're connected from day to day, but we're not. What can end the problems of this world is for us to be personally connected to more people. Lastly, missions means being open to anything. The scope of missions are not limited to the original description of why people were going there. Be open for God to do something new, and be open for God to do anything. Go to share the good news and to end poverty at the same time. Find a place and a people to love. Evangelism is part of missions. Service is a part of missions. They all go hand in hand. What can you do today? Take action. If you haven't been on a mission trip or served this community in some way missionally, you're missing out. Trust me. I know it takes courage to take the first step, to take that first trip, to get involved. Antioch was ascending church. Mount Pleasant Presbyterian is ascending church. It's called to be ascending church. It is a missional place. Listen for God's voice today and listen for where God is sending you. And go where God sends. Because most importantly, the thing to be open to for change with missions, with service, with God, is you. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to serve you. We ask that you would place this congregation on the road to missions to continue their history of service to the world, to open new avenues of service, and for your spirit to be with them the whole time. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.